Is it time? This is the My New Norm podcast. And I'm your host, Barry Scott Young. In this episode, you'll hear from concert pianist Christina. She shares a story that started in Seoul, Korea, then to YouTube with over 14 million views as the Costco Piano Girl, now changing lives every day with the power of music therapy. Hello, Christina. How are you? I'm doing great, Barry. It is great to see you. Man, I can't even think of the last time we were in the same room. Uh, It was probably at my house. Or no, it was at uh, the concert that Brittany and you were part of. I think you had Fel Wickham. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And Brittany performed. Yes. 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 Wow. That was, I think, 2008 or maybe nine. That's awesome. Well, I have been following you from the point of view of Instagram and Facebook, and I feel like uh, I'm up to date, really, you know, (laughs) but we haven't talked until now. So tell me a little bit about uh, some of the parts of you growing up where did you grow up in korea yes born and raised in seoul korea and only child always grew up in the church and my parents decided in 1994 um that they were going to immigrate to the states oh so you all came out here well, not not all together at once. So what kind of led that was a, a very good family friend of ours, a church family, but like we're closer than family. They decided to move to Seattle. My parents felt like it was time for them to move now because I was only like nine at that time. Okay. And so they wanted me to get started early, like learn English. But their main reason was for me to come to America and get better education and like expand on my piano, you know, lessons and opportunities in America. I don't know. Were you like two months old and you started (laughs) playing the piano? What was that about? Um, Maybe not two months. (laughs) I think I want to say maybe I was four or maybe five. And my parents did have a piano at our house, I believe. And they said one day we came home from church and then I sat down on the piano and then like kind of played the tune to the hymn that we were singing. What? And obviously not like with the accompaniment or anything, but just like the melody maybe. And um, that's when they were like, oh my gosh, we got to get this girl piano lessons. But I couldn't get piano lessons because I was too young at that time. <laughs> um, I think I started maybe like five or six. No way. So you were definitely a prodigy then. Uh, I mean, I guess I knew something. (laughs) Man, what was going on in your head at five years old playing the piano? It's it's been so long. I can't really recount. But I mean, I always did have an affinity for music. And my both of my parents are like just kind of more natural musicians, not necessarily like they went to 
go for it or like got lessons. You know, they've always sing in the church or my dad was always a praise leader in the church. And so I want to say a lot has to do with my parents' influence when I was in the womb. And this kind of also ties into music therapy later on when we're going to talk about more about this. But uh, yeah, so my parents always had music on constantly. And there's photos of me when I was like an infant, like two years old or whatever. And I had my, my dad used to be a conductor. So I had like the conductor's wand and I just like, <laughs> there's photos of me conducting to whatever song we were listening to. And I, I do think my parents listened to a lot of choral music, okay. church music, and that's really uh, what influenced me. And I think just naturally God's given me the gift to like, my my ears are just open to music, I think. And that's, that's probably my biggest, like be a little bit more, you know, I don't want to say excellent, but sure. it, it, it makes things easier for me when I play music yeah. because I, I, I can figure out the notes and all of that. So they say that uh, music is a lot like math, arithmetic. It's very logical. Do you find that to be true? Are you good at math? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I mean, this is this could be like a stereotype, but I, I do believe it's true. A lot of Asians are good at math and music. And it, it makes sense that. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of like if you think of rhythm, it's all mathematical. You yeah. have to divide the beats and you combine the beats. You, you know, and they they're always mostly in pairs or triplets. Yeah. Um, so. Wow. Yeah. Well, growing up in Korea, what what was that like? I mean, I loved it as a child. I I think, uh, you know, I definitely was a child that didn't maybe fit the mold because, you know, my personality is pretty rambunctious. And, you know, I when I was five, I guess my kindergartner teacher called my mom and was like, hey, um, your daughter was found in the in the, you know, recess area dancing and kids were watching. <laughs> oh, my. You know, I don't know. So I don't remember that instance, but I'm not surprised. Um, like, I just kind of was active and crazy in a good way. I'd like to look at it. And uh, so, I mean, I enjoyed uh, growing up in Korea. I, like, would go out and play with my neighbor kids, like, all day, every day. I, I do have one really cool memory. We, our house, our entire apartment complex mm -hmm. got flooded. Our, we were living on the first floor and it was flooded halfway. And what's really cool about my neighborhood was that everybody just moved up to the third floor, all the kids. And, you know, it was just like a village effort. And my, I remember my dad, he got like plywood and he was in the water, like kind of like Noah. He reminded me of Noah because he was trying to build a boat. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> But, you know, at the end, the uh, a government, um, like the army men and women came in one of those rescue boats and had to, like, you know, take us out. But I have great memories growing up in Korea. So you said you moved to the United States at about nine. What what was your biggest challenge when you arrived here? The biggest challenge is that I was initially separated from my parents. And yes, so this is this is like a big like piece in my you know life story that God's like kind of led me through. Yeah. So it wasn't by choice. It it just kind of had to be that way. My parents had to stay back and 
finish, like they had a business they had to sell, they had a house they had to sell. So there were a lot of like um, logistical things that they had to take care of. And my, like I said earlier, like my family friends that were moving to Seattle were leaving in January. So they needed me to go with them so that I can start school right away. And they were going to be there like a couple months later. Now, I think it was hard for both of us. And as a child, you know, only being nine, it was difficult. The first first few nights was really rough. I mean, I was just kicking and screaming, crying all like the whole nine yards. But now looking back, I understand why my parents parents had to right. do that. I'm sure if we repeat that again. They wouldn't do that. Right. You know, right. but where did you stay? We, I stayed with my family friends okay. um, that, and they had a daughter around my age. So we went to school together. So, I mean, we're basically like family. Her parents are like my, um, you know, my second parents. So, so I was there for about six months and then my parents ended up coming and then we moved to California and, you know, that was back in 1994. What was the attraction there? You know, I think it's just uh, the Korean community. Uh, that was in the LA area. I mean, which is very big. Los Angeles is probably the yeah. largest, you know, Korean population in United States. So I believe that was a pool. And I want to say maybe they knew like a pastor that was in the area. But once again, like that too was like a, a lot of like God's footprints and leading us in in the direction that we went. Because um, once again, like everything just happened very naturally one after the other. And I was able to, you know, get into the school that we actually first moved to Glendale. Uh. They denied me to go to school. Like I couldn't go to school. I forget what the reason was. And we ended up moving to Torrance. And then like we found a place to live. We had a church, you know, um, my dad got a job. So like everything just kind of panned out really nicely. Wow. Glendale that's a lot of my heritage, though I haven't lived there. It's because I'm half Armenian. Oh, right, right, right. And there's quite, I think, the largest population of Armenians there to this day. Oh. So that's an interesting thing. Wow. Mm-hmm. So as far as growing up and then moving to a whole different culture, how did you weather through the two cultures? Ooh, I think culturally, I definitely fit more to the American culture. Like the like, it feels more free as a child. Um, language wise, it was quite difficult. But I was one of those kids. Like I didn't care. I just make things up. <laughs> I just yeah. use body language, and I would just, <laughs> I would just like kind of like make things up and speak Konglish, like. Humans have a way of communicating <laughs> with their bodies and facial expression. And for the most part, I think I I was somewhat daring. Um, and I'm glad I was taking those risks because I might not be speaking English as well as I do now. But I mean, who really knows? And um, but yeah, I like in Korea, I'm sure things have changed now. But when I was growing up there education and the pressure of like the school system was like too much for me. Mm. Like there's too much studying at a younger age and not much, not a lot of like socializing and 
claim. Like the like school, you know, like 7 a.m. to like, let's say four. And then after that, you have art and then music. And then you have Chinese, you know, uh, uh, handwriting class. And you, I mean, and then you get have sports class. I mean, it's just like back to back to back. And I tell my parents every day, like, look, I'm just so glad we're in America. <laughs> just personality wise, I don't think I could have survived that pressure. Well, music itself helps um, a lot of people learn English. So mm-hmm. lyrically, I'm sure you were on spot. Yes, it, I, I hope so. I mean, you know, like you said, like the way we learn the ABCs, nobody tells us. Right verbatim a b c we don't learn it like that it's through a melody a b c right. e f g and everybody i want to say probably a lot of people that have heard the song knows right. the alphabet from the song so well as far as moving into more information that i want to get out of you when i met you you had such a love for people really entertainment (laughs) it was never a dull moment and that's what i love about you you love life but when you sit down at a piano and you play a serious piece you know for someone that knows you as as real lighthearted and funny and you sit at a piano and play this thing you kind of go whoa and, and you don't know what to say. There's such a contrast. What was the first song that you learned how to play? Ooh, probably Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, maybe. I, I can't think that far into, I can't even think into like my first recital, what I even played then. But yeah, I would imagine it was like Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, some nursery rhyme. Yeah. Uh, when did you graduate towards the, how would you say, the more challenging pieces that uh, um, most people don't even get to? I want to say probably in my middle school age, okay. like sixth or seventh grade, I learned from, you know, I, I can't, the track that I took with piano lesson is more of like the professional route. Yeah. So, you know, Parents really sought out teachers that were like diehard, like they're going to make you work type of teachers. And so I feel like, you know, I learned a lot of advanced pieces when I was a lot younger. But, you know, those are those are things that you might play when you're like 12, but you still play those when way into your 30s, 40s and 50s, because it's just something you refine over time. Right. So would you give us uh, like a 30 second idea of of a song that you would play in middle school okay something like this well okay maybe middle school oh goodness i'm just gonna tell you i, I haven't played it in a while, but, Oh, that's gorgeous. So that was middle school. You know what? Honestly, I I do believe this was like elementary because this is a really, um, this is a, this is a very famous Mozart sonata. No, Clementi Mozart. Oh, 
goodness, don't quote me now. <laughs> um, but it's a very famous sonata. Like pretty much everybody that has played piano when they're like five or six has learned this, most likely in their elementary stages, like late elementary, maybe. I can't remember a piece from middle school. Okay, so now you're getting older. Your ability with music is exploding. Take me now to your 20s. What would you be playing? Oh, goodness. I'm really putting you on the spot. You are. You know, I haven't even warmed up right (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking like, oh, we're going to do like music therapy stuff. You never know. You never know. It's not as but okay all right this is this is probably something i would have played really well in my 20s all right here we go What's that one called? That's the Venice Impromptu by Chopin, which is all—it's a grand piece, and I would say, you know, it's kind—it's definitely one of those like showstopper pieces. Yeah, it's a very famous piece by Chopin. Ah. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay, thank you. Where <laughs> in the world did Costco Piano Girl begin? Okay, yeah, that's a really fun story. Um, it began, I want to say, probably 2015 um, or 16. I was at Costco <laughs> with my husband after working out, and it was like almost towards closing. And, you know, I walked in and I saw Yamaha like grand pianos, and they, the Yamaha uh, was doing like, uh, they're selling their pianos at Costco. And I wanted to play, but I also didn't really want to play and like draw attention to myself. So I was like, oh, I won't play. So we went on Costco, we shopped, we're about to leave. And then all of a sudden I hear somebody playing Killing Me Softly with his song on the piano. And one of the things I actually really, really, really love doing is playing music with other people. Like playing by yourself is cool, but playing with other people is just like on another level. So what I decided to do is I, I kind of snuck behind a piano and then I started uh, playing along with the guy that was playing the song. And then so he stops and he goes, he's like looking for me. And then he's like, oh my gosh, like, why don't you play something? And I said, no, 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 no. I don't want to play anything. How about we play something? So I kind of like threw it out there. Let's, let's think of something to play. And he's like, do you know Adele? I'm like, sure, which song? And he's like, someone like you. I'm like, okay, cool. We picked the key and then there were two grand pianos side by side. And I was like, I told my husband like, hey, film this, this is, this is pretty sweet. So we, we like sat down and we play from beginning to end. And it was, it was probably one of my favorite moments uh. in piano history of just kind of like in the moment it's not like we, we weren't putting on the show. We didn't practice. It was just something right. that came very natural and organically. And um, yeah, he was the Yamaha salesman that was selling pianos there. And uh, yeah, so we we uh, we filmed that. And then I ended up I couldn't share it with him like through a text because the file was too big. So I ended up uploading it to my YouTube 
And then I sent it to him that way. So at least we can watch it whenever. Right. Completely forgot about that video. A year later, I happened to check and it's at a one over 1 million views. <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness. I mean, that was, that. I've never experienced anything like that. Um, and initially the video didn't have my name. Like I, I don't like to put like my name out on on my YouTube. So it doesn't have my name on there, but um, I decided to give myself like a fake name, like a right. nickname. So I was like, okay, Costco piano girl, simple. <laughs> and then that's kind of how it took off. And that video, you know, just kind of went like wildfire. And after that, you know, I, a few more times actually when I go back to Costco and then randomly I'll see like pianos, I'll ask the salesman, hey, you want to play something together? So I've already done it, I want to say three or four times. And I'm just, Yamaha, if you're listening to this, <laughs> come back to Costco's because it's a really, um, it's an amazing experience to make music with other people and just the enjoyment that comes out of it. Yeah. Well, the enjoyment for the shoppers, they, they stop like that one video had a picture of it. I mean, it showed a dad holding yeah. a child and he was just in the moment dancing with his little daughter or something. Yeah. Music captivates you, you know? One that you're talking about is the someone like you video with the dad in the back with his child. Yeah. That one I think is close to like 15 million or something. But um, I, I, I noticed, you know, I started uploading more on YouTube and I noticed people are really drawn to more organic interactions that just kind of happen out of nowhere. They're not necessarily drawn to things that are pre-planned or, you know, like, um, you know, created. Uh, scripted. Yeah, scripted, <laughs> you know. Um, and so, I mean, I always try to be open-minded with whenever I'm walking around, I see a musician you know, I'll say, hey, you want to play something? Let's see what we can come up with. I mean, it's... it's That's uh, so cool. Yeah. I love um, your little byline that says, find a piano and play it or something. Yeah. <laughs> find the piano, play the piano. Yeah, yeah. Is Costco Piano Girl going to end up in Texas? Oh, well, I don't know if the uh, Costco's make... I mean, uh, Costco's have pianos. It's very possible. Would imagine it could go beyond Costco. It can really be anywhere. I'm open. To, I'm always open to making music with other people, whether it's on the street or at church or friends or whoever. Yeah, you even have one when you visited uh, Korea. I think on the yeah. outside. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that that one was cool too because my cousin actually found some street pianos, and then the one that I actually filmed at this one location. It's a, it's like a big plaza. They have this one yellow uh, piano, and both times I've gone there, a guy like someone is like like shredding it on the piano. It's uh. amazing, and then I'll like just kind of like go up and be like, "Hey, can we play something together?" Um, so both times it's been really amazing. And there, it's funny cause they're so shy. 
But um, yeah, well, we're, once we're like in the music, like you just feel it. It doesn't matter if they're wrong notes. Yeah. You yeah. know, feel it. Uh, you just go. No. All right. So I want to know what is music therapy? Great question. Simply put, music therapy is utilizing music as the main medium to meet the needs of individuals, whether that is physical need, an emotional need, mental, uh, spiritual need, uh, cognitive, educational, academic, um, behavioral. Hmm. So those are some of the main areas, but you know, music therapy can be utilized literally from even before conception until the very last breath. Yeah. You know, like kind of like what we were talking about earlier, like my parents listening to music, although it's not technically, you know, we wouldn't categorize that as like a music therapist doing music therapy, but that act in itself, I would say that in itself was therapeutic musically. Um, that kind of helped to ingrain uh, as my brain is forming, you know, different parts of my body in my mother's womb. And then, you know, we also provide music therapy services to, you know, folks that are in the hospice for family members um, mm. or the patient and and everything in between from schools to hospitals to nursing homes to, um, you know, day programs or specialized programs. You talked about stroke, like there are, you know, clinics or hospitals that like specifically work on stroke patients, you know, th that could be a place where a music therapist goes or mental health facilities, mm -hmm. uh, the NICU, hospice, church. I'll tell you, music is powerful. I saw a, I'm sure it's, it's on YouTube, a lady that was probably in her late 90s, unresponsive, would sit all day. Someone put on some music of the fact it was the same music when she used to be a ballerina and she started to move and she was going through all the different stages in her 90 something year old body. You talk about powerful, you know? Absolutely. So give us an idea how you have been a therapist with music. Honestly, I want to say, I, you know, I didn't know this before going into music therapy. I didn't even know that music therapy, like the field of music therapy even existed. I always like to think the very initial form of music therapy that I, I and maybe others have been exposed to is worship. And it's very interesting because my when, when I was in school, we have a course called Psychology and Music. In our textbook, it stated that the very first form of music therapy was found in the biblical times with King David. That makes sense. Yeah, right with Paul, um, and so or Saul. Or Saul. I'm sorry. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. It calmed so, him down. Yeah, and so wow. you know, the, you know, we we now like have like a professional term to describe what that is, but I believe that like the essence of music therapy has always been around. Yeah. And like, think of like, why, why do spas put on those like uh, relaxing, like very calming music? Because it changes, uh, changes our mood. It helps us to uh, focus on, on relaxing, you know, those, 
those types of music or sounds elicit different responses. I read where Stanford did a study and they found that music directly engages your brain in the area of paying attention. It, it grabs your attention and many, many other things. I thought that was interesting. I would have to say just the way music interacts with the brain. And, you know, you were talking about a lady in her 90s. Yes. Um, like immediately engaging with music. One very, very interesting part about the brain of music is that musical memory in our brain is the very last part that dies. So people experiencing Alzheimer's or dementia, you know, I've experienced that too with some, some of the clients that I've worked with in the past in nursing homes. They couldn't remember their name. Mm. They couldn't remember their spouse their children, but the moment I sing like Edelweiss or a song that they used to sing when they're a child, like immediately right. they follow. Oh. They're able to they can't say anything else, you know, but they're able to sing the tunes or I had this one lady who she we we gave her a drum and we're like, hey miss um let's play the drum and she she's just holding the drum. She's like, I don't know how to play. And, and then she goes, but I know the Lord's prayer. I go, okay, say the Lord's prayer. And she was saying the Lord's prayer, prayer and she was playing the drum at the same time. Oh, my. It blew my mind. Wow. Blew my mind. I mean, I have countless stories of just seeing how music transforms people, like, on a daily basis. You know, I still work um, – Currently at a nonprofit, I work with clients and we do all of our services virtually. And like even today, uh, usually, you know, as a music therapist, our main uh, instrument that we always play with is uh, the guitar. So guitar is usually like most most music therapists play guitar. Yeah, so I usually play the guitar. But today I decided, hey, let's, you know, I'm doing this podcast, too. So I'm like, hey, why don't I whip out my keyboard and see um if how my clients would react and you know right when we entered the zoom half of them were sleeping the moment first chord wow hi hi how are you like verbalizing i you know i work with clients who have developmental disabilities so some of them you know verbal language is a challenge uh, or staying up because they're they're either their sleep cycles off or their um you know their medication effects so there's variables in, you know, their responses. But today, you know, I was like really surprised. And I think that has to do with the fact that they're so used to listening to guitar on a daily basis. Mm. And now we throw in something new and they just immediately mm. like re their responses immediately. I saw and I was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I am. So impressed that you're doing this because it's it's powerful, you know, it's changing lives. Give me an idea of what you're starting to do with uh, I think it's called Psalmscape. Oh, <laughs> I love those, by the way. Oh, thank you. I, you know, I, I need to do more. And um, first but, tell uh, our listeners what it is. Yes. So the Psalmscape, the idea came out during like while we were in the thick of it with COVID. Uh, so, you know, then back then I was living in California and really you couldn't go anywhere other than like go to the beach. And so, I mean, I love the beach 
regardless. But I kind of got in the habit of catching sunsets. Like it, it just became a hobby. And I, I felt like I took those things for granted living in California. And so I decided to go and film these sunsets and just keep it for my own. And, you know, during COVID, like a lot of people were just ridden in fear and stressed, uh, ridden with anxiety. There's just a lot of a lot of that going on. And, you know, all of that is not really good for your immune system either. You know, so it's kind of like the cyclic effect that has on people. And I really saw this like in, you know, with uh, people around me. So I've uh, what what really transpired the or inspired the event was my friend was telling me how she doesn't sleep or she hasn't slept in days and like nothing she does would put her to sleep. And I really felt like, well, let's try something, you know, let's try it. Let me try something and see. And so I, you know, decided to just kind of play something very relaxing. And I, I looped the videos that I took um, it's the Hermosa beach in California, the sunsets. And then I looped the video and I put my track on top and there it was the first Psalmscape. And, and on top of that, I'm reading Psalms very silently. <laughs> you can't hear it. Really? But I just figure like, Hmm, subliminal messages are real. <laughs> <laughs> so it's about what? Two hours long each yeah. one. And it's on your YouTube channel then, which is, how did they get there? Uh, it's, you just need to type in Costco Piano Girl and I have three or maybe four songscapes there. I do have a, I do have a songscape playlist that you can just go directly to and you can loop it so that it's, you know, all the videos uh, continuously playing if you're listening to it while sleeping. I, you know, rather than doing like an eight hour, I decided to do two because my goal was I want you to fall asleep. I want this to help you fall asleep within the two hours. Mm, I see. So that was my goal. Now, I haven't heard from anybody <laughs> regarding if they're able to sleep or not, but hey, it's it's just out there. If people want it, cool. Well, I'll, I'll tell you my story. When I came home, after 30 days in the hospital, I didn't know any of the stuff was out there. I just found on YouTube like a calming uh, environment. If it was a cabin, the fireplace, the cat asleep or whatever, and would just listen to sounds because it gave my brain an opportunity to to relax because there was so much going on with healing yeah. in my brain and then i found others and yours was just a awesome thing because it was very beautiful you know the visual so i loved them you know i i uh, told a lot of people about them i want to shift gears here and talk to families that have small kids and debating whether, you know, how are we going to get them away from social media and technology? What, what would you say to them as far as music? Yeah, I, I would say do not do anything virtual, meaning virtual lessons. Um, I've been asked that as well. And, you know, during COVID, I had few, I, I had several piano students before COVID 
And then obviously with COVID, like half of them, um, you know, decided not to continue. And the other half, we tried doing virtual, but with, you know, I, I do understand that everybody's inundated with media, with phones and TVs and iPads and all sorts of technology. I do believe the best is having your children be exposed to live music. I mean, recorded music is great, but once again, that's technology too. You're playing the recorded music technology. There is a difference between recorded music and live music. As far as it hitting your brain? Um, I mean, I can't speak to the scientific. I'm sure there are researches out there, but as far as the way people respond, um, you know, I, and I'm really thinking about my personal experience too. Like when you have a live music experience, it's like whole body. Yeah. Versus when you're listening to it, it's just just to the ear. Yeah. You know, it's it's a it's a different type of impact, I think. So, and also with like music lessons, anything hands on is always better. I mean, I'm thinking more of like human interaction. Mm. You know, like that is so important and. I know with, you know, everything we've been experiencing in the last two years is really separated and isolated us from that. You know, take it from me, like my piano students, they they did so much better. Like they improved so much more when I was in person directly sitting next to them and, you know, correcting their form and like playing alongside of them. And, you know, that's really the key for any piano music teachers out there. I, I found that the secret sauce for me and having children enjoy music, because I remember I went kicking and screaming, like when it's like lesson time, <laughs> even though I loved music, you know? But what really, like when I asked my students, like what was your favorite part of piano lessons? It's all, they all say they love that we played together. Hmm. So I would find like wet songs and then so they would play on one end and I would accompany them. And I, I, I also found that to be a very like a enjoyable learning experience and teaching experience on my end too. Wow. So. Wow. If you wouldn't mind, I, I know I put you on the spot today a few times and here's one more. <laughs> Give us an idea, play something that would be used to settle one down or relax them. Okay. So in music therapy, we use, we use a technique called, technique called grounding or containing. And it's basically, we use this a lot when we see a client that is exhibiting behaviors or we can tell that it's very evident that they're agitated or angry or upset. So let's say I'm in a room with my client. My client is over there on the other side, maybe throwing a tantrum. And maybe I, I might play something like this. start that way and I, I I would gauge how my client is reacting mm. and from that I can start off with grounding trying to ground or we have another technique called 
modeling or matching where we match where they're at. So let's say if a client is really angry and he, you know, he's like pounding on the drum, then I would like I would I, I would pound on the piano with the client. Yeah. And then our goal is to bring that to a grounding. It's called entrainment. So we entrain the we start kind of where they're at and we entrain them to a more patterned uh, behavior, which is uh, which can go into a grounding type of uh, music playing. This is actually a very big piece in music therapy. We have something called the ISO principle, and this is like our motto in music therapy, which means um, meeting the individual where they're at. Mm. So as a music therapist, we never try to bring them out of their situation or whatever they might be feeling in the moment. We jump in I see. to that place and we, we help hold that space for them. So I, I really do feel like that's an important key to music therapy because it's not really about like, oh, I want to change you with my music. It's it's just kind of observing and noticing what the need might be for the client for that moment, because that need could change from day to day, moment to moment, finding that need and filling it using music as the medium to to get to that point. So. I actually, I, I don't know if you know the soloist, Nathaniel Ayers. Have you watched that movie? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, fun story. Um, my college professors were good friends with Nathaniel Ayers' sister. And, um, you know, they, they had asked, um, you know, for like a piano accompanist for Nathaniel Ayers and he had a, he, I don't know if his foundation is still around, but he had a foundation with his sister for like uh, individuals with mental health. And they held like a big, um, like a conference or meeting or something. And Nathaniel Ayers was gonna play. And if you uh, remember in the in the uh, movie, he, he has multiple instruments. He's quite talented. And he brought five different instruments, saxophone, clarinet, flute, violin, and cello. I had to use grounding with Nathaniel uh, in front of like 500 people. It was, we met like on the spot, like on stage. <laughs> it was, it was very um, scary at first because I did not know what to expect. Granted, we actually met two nights back to back. So we played in two different occasions. The first night, yeah, we met on stage. I had no clue what we were going to play. Like, I don't know how he plays. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I just remember the second night he was really upset because people were talking a lot and there's 500 people. And he was just, I think he was just really overstimulated by the noise in the room. And he was playing a non-traditional meter, meaning, you know, everything's in four, like one, two, three, four, or in threes, one, two, three, one. But he was playing in fives. So it was like, <laughs> it was like, one, two, three, four, five. It was very hard for me to um, keep that up because it's it was like really messing with my classically trained brain. Um, and he turned to me and he he was like, you know, like really angry at me. He was throwing some like comments at me. Um, but I remember at the end, like we were we were finally after 15 minutes, we were finally gelling. Our music was finally gelling. And then they had to cut us short. They cut him short and he was really angry about that. But like these techniques, you know, that I learned in school, um, 
it, it's, it really shows the ISO principles of just meeting where, where they're at in the moment. Right. And then we just kind of go with the flow and see where, where the music takes us. Mm. And Well, Christina, you are a rare find. You're so gifted. But what I love is how you're using your gift with a powerful medium such as music. I thank you for sharing your story and your gift. Is there any last words you would give to our listeners today? Yeah, I I want to highly encourage everybody to listen to all different types of music. And, you know, music, the types of music we are drawn to speaks a lot about ourselves. And you actually get to learn a lot about yourselves because music relates to you. And like, and you can relate to the music, especially in lyrics. Um, and so, yes, more music, the better. Expose your children to live music if possible. And yeah, wow. that's, that's about it. I really enjoyed this time, Barry. So thank you so much. So find a piano and play it. Yes. <laughs> oh, I, I do also want to say, uh, anybody listening, find me on the street. Um, let's, let's play something together. Oh, how nice. Thank you so much, Christina. I love what you're doing. I love you. And say hello to your husband. And uh, we'll see you at Costco. Yes. Please tell your wife we say we miss you and love you guys you too. Got and it. hopefully we'll join either in Tennessee or Texas one of you these got days. It. Our doors yeah. open. Well, yes. not all, every day, but it's unlocked. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You know, so much was shared here. I know you'll want to rehear it and then share it with those that you know. Remember, it's about the small steps. What step or steps can you take in the next 30 days? This is the My New Norm podcast, a podcast about helping you foster change. Until the next episode, I am still your host, Barry Scott Young.